0: Hello, hello, I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. When asking about what topics people wanted to hear about on the podcast, ML was one that kept coming back and I bet you can guess why. Um, I couldn't really avoid talking about this topic, but I also didn't fancy doing a technical episode because, well... I'm not sure I would understand anything going on during the conversation, but also I feel like there are quite a few podcasts that do that um, very well. So I thought I would leave that to them. And what we're going to do today is um, I'm joined by Michelle Conway and Sarah Schlobom to talk about the life cycle of MLOps. So in this episode, you will hear about the ideation and problem framing managing models in production, but also how to understand whether using ML is the right approach to a specific problem. Michelle, Sarah, welcome to the Women in Data podcast. Thank you. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having us. Hi, Michelle. Can I invite you to introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. So, hi, I'm Michelle Conway.
1: I'm one of the lead data scientists at Lloyds Banking Group, and I work in a ops team that sits within the business, and we are in the consumer lending business. So, we are responsible for around 30 million customers' financial products, and
0: that's where I work today. I'm so happy to be here. So many customers. I I can imagine how rich the data is. Very rich, very messy, and very secure.
2: How about you, Sarah? Hello, I'm Sarah Schlobaum. Um, I started using machine learning over 20 years ago when I was doing a PhD in particle physics. That back then, I was using a neural net to um, try to identify B quarks in a particle reaction. Since then, um, I've gone over into business. I'm ex-PWC, I'm ex-HSBC. Um, I've been generally using data science in um, financial services and other associated areas.
0: I love that you're both from financial services that was not planned, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I love that. And Sarah, I guess you've been using ML for 20 years, but it's only um, recently that it started exploding as much as it has. So it has to be a journey from you. Could you help us, I guess, understand the basics, what ML engineering is,
2: why we're talking about it today? Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about machine learning engineering. So we're talking about machine learning. That's any time you're sort of automatically looking at data in a statistical way and building up the algorithms to predict what is going to happen with that data in the future roughly speaking. So anytime we're talking about a machine, learning from past data and making some predictions about the future. Um, Machine learning engineering is about making sure that you can actually use that nifty model that you've built and making sure you can put that into production. Because um, Michelle, I'm guessing you're gonna have some experience with this. For a long time, people would go off and build a very clever proof of concept, a very interesting little model on someone's personal laptop, but not be able to implement that in the business and not be able to actually get any value out of that. So machine learning engineering is about making sure all the plumbing is in place to make sure that um, the the models drive business value rather than languishing on someone's personal PC.
0: I guess this is the biggest difference between you know the world of data science where people are actually building models and the ML engineering, which is where you have people building models that do predictive analytics um, or classification, etc. But then you need this whole infrastructure and then the plumbing, as you said, to make sure it works and it's well integrated. Because we're talking about the life cycle of, of ML and ML engineering, um I want to say everything starts with an idea and a problem. Could you help us understand how that differs from other
2: data problems that, that we will have in the space? It's different because there are a handful of technical skills that are really important to understand with machine learning. It's not enough to just say, you know, we're going to write this code and it's going to do something. You can't necessarily predict that you're going to find something if you're trying to classify. You have to have something that you can classify to. It has to really exist in the data. So um, that needs to be well understood by everybody involved in the process. It's also really important to think about the the data storytelling that's happening here and how you communicate those results. How you communicate that to stakeholders because it's not as straightforward as this is the answer. Sometimes the answer is statistically this is more likely, but there's a chance it's not.
0: Mm-hmm. Michelle, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I feel like within the business at
1: the moment they're constantly coming up with problems of how they're going to analyze things. And a lot of the time, you end up using Excel. And so taking that Excel <laughs> and then you end up developing machine learning models on top of that because you find a better way of doing the calculations that actually gets a better position or a better answer solution. So being able to understand business people's thinking so that you can optimize what they're already sculptivating that you can then have that as part of a process. So the storytelling is hugely important in order to understand and also explain.
0: That's very true. And Michelle, I know you also talk a lot about, you know, how much involvement is needed to really understand what the business is trying to solve and work, I guess, differently with project managers. Um, so the the need for different skills when it comes to ML. Michelle, could you elaborate a bit on this need for... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mentioned that
1: I work in an MLOps team, but the team is just not all machine learning engineers. We have data scientists, we have data engineers, we have subject matter experts. We sit really, really closely with the business so that we're all aligned. It's kind of multidisciplinary, as well as obviously with Lloyd's Banking Group, we're regulated by the FCA, so governance is hugely important. So, being able to understand stuff that you will be able to explain that back to the regulator and also within the business. So, you need different hats. You can't just come in with your pure engineering hat and be like, "That's me. That's done. I'm just going to do engineering." You need to have the wide range of, and communication is so important to get all that done. And
0: you you talked about um, people using Excel spreadsheets. Um, so I, I guess this is a problem that many of us have encountered. So not only in ML in analytics as well, but I guess the the issue gets exacerbated when when you go into ML the ML space. Um, so I guess to be able to to do ML, you will need some kind of healthy pipeline of projects that you can look at, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I find with Excel, I do feel like it is a good base to start an ML project, because you've probably got people trying to do calculations and logic, but those calculations within the Excel's like cells <laughs> themselves, they can be easily edited, overwritten, mistakes can be made. Whereas if you have that hard-coded in code like Python, you can write tests with it to make sure that if someone does change the code by accident, the unit tests break and you immediately get alerts in your pipeline. And having a pipeline that will constantly monitor that for you will be able to run the model for you, too, is really important because you don't want everything locally on someone's laptops. If someone's on holidays, it's not exactly ideal. So even if the ML model starts originally from Excel and gets expanded, that's still a good source and a good base point. And Sarah, I'm sure you've seen other amazing ways that
2: ML projects have started. Oh yeah, absolutely the the amount of the amount of fairly sophisticated stuff that runs all over the world still on Excel is frightening. Sometimes it's a very good tool, but um, yeah, probably shouldn't form the fundamental basis of your uh, machine learning pipeline.
0: Yeah, depends on the use you you want to do for it. We we all remember this horror story of COVID data disappearing because they were in an Excel sheet. Yeah. In terms of that, Sarah, could you walk us through maybe? The, the different steps to really scope a ML project or come up with the idea.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that businesses are really at a risk of at the moment with all the the AI hype is businesses just saying, ah, well, let's use AI, and and it's a it's a solution looking for a problem. It's not um, it's not approaching it from the business's problem. So the business really needs to have a use case that it needs to solve and it needs to be solvable in a scalable, repeatable way. Um, so so the first step is to understand the problem and to ask the right questions for how to solve that problem. Then you need to understand what data that you have. Can you trust that data? Do you have good data governance? Um, is it accessible? Is it, again, scalable? Um So that's all before you even start looking at an algorithm, right? You need to make sure that you're asking the right questions, trying to solve a business problem. You need to make sure that you're communicating with the SMEs who understand the data, just because something is labeled one thing doesn't mean that's actually what it means in every single use case, Um, especially if you're integrating across multiple systems, for example, legacy parts of the business. Um, Then there's a small bit where you're running some kind of machine learning algorithm, but then there's also putting it into production, thinking about monitoring it, thinking about tests if things are going to break, um, when are you going to need to completely rebuild the model? It's a whole life cycle and it's iterative and it's repeated time and time again. There's a reason we call it a life cycle, not like a lifeline. Yeah. What's a... Uh, did you say SME? Oh, sorry. Subject matter expert. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes the data has a very specific meaning or may have implications that an objective data scientist who's not deeply familiar with the topic won't know. So if you're talking about, for example, life sciences, there may be something really important in this health data that someone like me who doesn't have a health background won't be able to interpret. It could have huge implications for the model.
0: Yeah, so that's what we were, similar to what we were talking about earlier. So you were now you're talking about people who are working together, communicating and working very closely to be able to assess, understand the problem, make sure we have the right data to address it. So um, now you're adding this layer of working with subject matter experts and really relying on each other's skills for that, um, similar to what Michelle was mentioning before. Yeah. You also talked about putting the models in production. So I'm really keen to understand how that works, how easy it is, because at the, at the beginning, we, we were laughing a bit about people creating the models on their machines, but then now you need to implement them and make sure that the plumbing is there. Um, so, Michelle, how do you build a model in production? How how easy is it?
1: Um, from my experience, from what I've seen, a lot of models will start off in a Jupyter notebook, which is which is fine for explaining results and wanting to present, you know, really good exploratory data analysis and some outputs from the model. But when you want this living and breathing, you need a well-engineered code base for this to live in. So I can give you examples like we have production projects and there could be 30,000 lines of code because there is multiple models living within that space. Because if you think about it, it may be a model but there's multiple different products streams versions customers that you might end up building like completely different version of models and models within that code base so you need something that's well structured and well set up and it can take time so when you're doing your proof of concept that could take you three to six months and then when you're starting to build it out that could take you another six months and I have seen like production models take 18 months to get from start to finish into production and that's to include governance because you can't just go build something and release it live without going through everything and being like okay is this doing the right thing is this going to affect our customers have we thought about this is there bias in our models so you have to be super careful and super diligent the process can take time but it's worth taking time if you're going to do it right
0: That's, uh, that's ringing so many bells (laughs) on my end because having worked in data for a while, something I guess we, we all know is that the business always wants a solution yesterday. Um, is that a problem you're, and you're, um, you're encountering as well? Because if you have six months to, you mentioned 18 months of, um, time to put a model in production. That, that sounds like people would be sat next to you asking for updates every two seconds.
1: They would, um, and I do find doing an MVP, so a minimal viable product. So if you just build a model on one segment for one brand, one type of customer, and you show how that will look, the results it's producing, how far you've come with the code base, And if you get buy-in from that point, like that might take six to nine months to get there, to have something fully formed, function defined and be like, actually, we could roll this out because we've developed a pattern now that it will be repeatable. Yes, it will take time, but it's not going to take nine months per model after this. It might take two or three weeks. And after that, you scale rapidly because you've done the plumbing really well. You've done the engineering really well. And I do find the business do buy into that. If they're like, okay, cool, you've taken me on this journey it's taken six to nine months i see the value in it i'm happy for you to automate and continue to build that and that's where you get to the 18 month mark because you've built that trust with the business they know you long enough within the initial proof of concept and first minimum viable product model that they will support you to get to the finish line but it does take a long time and i'm sure you've seen it as well sarah
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned governance, especially, especially in a regulated industry like financial services, that can easily add six months to a models, than getting into production.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, um, in the financial industry, maybe people are a bit more used to to have to wait for things because of all the regulations that come into place
1: absolutely they don't want to do things in a hurry because they're like if we do this in a rush and we've done a bad decision and we've made the wrong mistake how do we go back and explain that or just show like what where we've done our due diligence so you have to be very very careful
0: well I guess that there is a lot of st- at stake there it's not like in retail where you could make a mistake and then maybe you will lose a bit of money um in financial institutions you then lose people's money and trust. So. Yeah, it's true. But if you
1: think about it, you'd want your financial data and information, like super safe, so all customers would too, because it's it's their personal finances.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned also the the problems of bias in, in the ML models. Is that something that there are some specific things that are in place when it comes to putting models in production? Because at least when it's on your computer, you can check from time to time. But how does that work in production? We have a data science lifecycle,
1: and in there we do check for model bias. So if you have a model that's going to like approve or decline a loan, it will check to make sure there's no gender bias. That the samples that are going in, there's oversampling done to correct any distribution if things are not even, and that's constantly monitored, monitoredly, <laughs> it's constantly monitored periodically. To make sure that just because you've done it once doesn't mean it's not going to crop up. So that's something that we have in
2: place to have those checks.
0: Yeah, that that sounds good.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a it's a step people can rush past, but it's a really important one.
0: Definitely. Wait, well, I definitely don't want people to to rush past that. And we have uh, an episode I hope oh, that was from probably a year ago, maybe talking about algorithmic bias. That went fast. <laughs> I hadn't realized it mm-hmm. was a year already. <laughs> um, so now we've talked about um the ideation, problem framing, or the um stakeholders that are needed to make sure that this works and then putting the models in production. But um, although Sarah has been in the field for a while, um and well, as you said, it, it's very um fashionable right now and I guess there is a lot of change management happening in there where organizations were not using ML before and now all of a sudden there is AI that, that pops up everywhere and people want, want to use it. How does that work in terms of adoption in the organization?
2: You have to make sure that you have the right foundations in place. Can you trust your data? Do you have enough of it? Does it tell you the right stuff to look at? I think you can't get past those fundamentals. Um, And then do you need to scale rapidly? Do you have a lot of data? Can you keep using it rapidly? Um, Those are some of the most important parts of thinking about, like, do you need machine learning here or not? Sometimes you don't. And I think if you can get away with not using it, maybe you shouldn't. I think that, again, we we sort of rushed for this. It's popular right now. Everybody's listening to it. But if you can solve most of your problems with a single rule, maybe you should. Because it can be expensive to build out and maintain all of this infrastructure. When you rule that stuff out, then machine learning is a great use case. Um, yeah.
0: So you would say that for, for the use case is really, I guess, exploring different opportunities and see if there is an easier way to implement the solution and then think, yeah
2: yeah I think you need to rule out the simpler options first and then then charge in with learning I don't know Michelle I don't know if you agree with that one or not
1: no I I think that's absolutely correct because if you don't start with the simple things of like how our data is how we want to do it can this be solved with a very simple problem You don't want to come in with all your tools in machine learning engineering and being like, okay, everything's going to be software engineering best practices. We're going to lay down massive foundations, create like really detailed like features and validations. It's an iterative process and you start small and you see if you need to scale and build big. It's not something that should be like, oh, we need to do like machine learning engineering over here. And you're like, all you need is a nice PowerPoint pack and a bit of a Jupyter notebook. And I think you'd be okay for the next, like, Two to three months. After that, let's talk because you need it to be in a home where it's going to like live and breathe. But if it's just for analysis and understanding to see if there's a use case, like don't start with ML engineering.
2: Yeah, you can build up a lot of technical debt quickly. So um, much.
0: I love that, and i I think because people do tend to jump and think, oh, there is a ML solution to that. But thinking first about what else can we do before involving ML? And then that means that people who work in the ML team, then they don't get frustrated by working on projects that maybe their skills are not needed and they can focus on where they can really add value. Absolutely.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: And so on the, I guess, ML engineer side, um, I don't know. I feel. How can one really decide that this is the, the career path for, for them? So let's say that you've been working in data science for a while or you've been, you're have been new to the field and are trying to find um, a career path for yourself. What would you say would be the key things to look at to know if ML is, is the right one for you?
1: Yeah, I feel like it comes down to doing things you enjoy. There's no point. Chasing a career, you're like, oh, it's in vogue. I, I must see what it is. Um, because it doesn't necessarily lead to ultimate happiness. Like for me, I found it was an iterative process. Like I studied maths as a statistician for years, really enjoyed that, but I wanted more complex models. So I went and did a master's in data science to be like, oh, actually, I quite like this programming business. Oh, I really like these advanced ML algorithms. And then I slowly started moving into the ML engineering space. But when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, this is really hard coded software engineering practices. You don't just walk into this like, don't get me wrong. I loved it. I learned loads. I'm much better with code than I am better with words. But I I would say baby steps, like research it, do some courses, see what you like. Don't just start being like, right, tomorrow I'm going to be a machine learning engineer. It's like read up on it first and see what you like, as well as talk to people that are in the roles. Get some mentors that can like help quite a lot. Um, I don't know what you think, Sarah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we, uh, there's been a lot of specialization in these roles over the years, right? We we now have very, in some cases, very strict distinction between here's what a data scientist does, and here's what a data engineer does, and here's what a machine learning engineer does. To some extent, there's a lot of overlapping skills, and, and the title doesn't matter that much. Like, if you're using data, if you're using ML, you should probably be aware of machine learning engineering is and why you would want to use it and why it's important for getting your mom into production. That doesn't mean mean it needs to be your day job all day, every day necessarily. Um but if you're interested in this space at all, having some awareness of of the life cycle and the skills needed to to get something into production is super important.
0: Yeah. I uh thanks for sharing that. It's it's very insightful and I was smiling at um michelle's reply thinking okay so you started with math and then statistics and went deeper into it and i had a similar start and run away from it as far as possible i was like nope not going (laughs) down that route so really um i guess what you were both saying baby steps understanding what it involves what are the skills that you need or don't need or just need to be aware of uh talking to industry experts and then um uh, going this way is quite impactful because sometimes you can think you want to do go down a route, but then in the end, it's some something else for you. Absolutely, because then if you spend all that time being like, "Oh, I'm going to learn this, I'm going to learn that," and then you start a new job in it,
1: and you're like, "Oh, that was a mistake. How do you reverse?" So sometimes it might be good doing that within the company already in because you might be like, "Okay, I c- I can move backwards like very quickly and reverse." rather than making massive decisions and changing employments to do that.
0: Yeah. So doing it in a safe space. I like it. Um, mindful of time, uh, Michelle, I would love to know what resources you use for your career or personal development. Yeah, I'm so I am big on books for Python, and the most recent ones I've
1: been looking at is Effective Pandas, which is quite good. It's got loads of like little pictures and visualizations so it's good for picking up the latest tips and tricks for that data frame library and then the other one I'm really excited about it's um the introduction to statistical learning it was written years ago by academics but so it was written in R and now they've written it in Python and they've released it and they're really good it's free to like download you can buy it in Amazon on hardback but it is about 90 quid but that's fair enough the book's brilliant. 'Cause it does all the machine learning algorithms and it's in Python that it snippets of code and explains what it is. So I'm loving those two at the moment. I'm really enjoying that.
2: And and you, Sarah, what are you learning at the moment or are you interested in learning about? I mean, I I love learning anything. Like, it's, at some point, my house is actually going to sink under the weight of books in it. It's it's a real risk. Um, I have one of the things I really love learning is is languages, like like programming languages, but also human languages. Um, so I'm constantly on Duolingo, and I get like really competitive, and I'm really obsessed with my streak. It's well <laughs> over two years at this point. Um, I'm dabbling in like a ton of languages. That sounds like it's not really related to this, but you know, if, if you think about, look at the big explosion that's been happening recently. That's in large language models. Um, um, I very nearly considered a career in linguistics, and I might have come right back around to it. But like the Duolingo blog is is one of my favorite AI blogs um, because of what they're doing with it, what they're doing to sort of personalize learning, and um, yeah, all, all the interesting implementations. I think they're one of the the companies that have done well with early implementations of of this stuff and integrating it into an existing product. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that.
0: That's super interesting because I. I know there are quite a few language um, organizations slash app that use a lot of data and ML, but really hearing that the blog is really good and you like to to read it for AI is, is quite interesting. Love that. Well, thank you both for joining me on the podcast today. It was very insightful and, and I learned loads. Um, so thank you.
1: It was amazing. Thank you for having us both. It's really, really cool. Thank
2: you. It's lovely to be here.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk.
2: Have a great day.